0: And this morning I want us to talk about communion. uh, I'm glad we're taking communion this morning. David still seems to be upset with me and Neville, so it's time to to sort that out. Uh, We're we're going to take communion together this morning. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, Eucharist, whatever it is that you call it, whatever uh, you prefer to name it, uh, that's what we are Wanting to enter into the conversation that we are wanting to enter into this morning. Really grateful for Dad. Dad spoke last Sunday morning. David spoke the Sunday before that. Really grateful for for what they both offered and contributed to this series. The two weeks before, the two weeks prior to that, I was I was um, asking us the questions, trying to open up a conversation, even for our midweeks that I hope will happen again this morning. Something will be said. Something will be stirred to lead into conversations around our home groups on Wednesday night. But the previous two Sundays that I was, that I was here, I was asking, is there daily ways? Is there daily ways that we can extend the presence of Jesus where we are? We're wanting to know. Because we've, we, the language that we've used a few times here is that today Sunday, as a special as this is, and as important as this is, as life-giving as these Sunday mornings are for me, it's not the main event. We gather together to, to be empowered, to be fueled, to be encouraged, to be motivated, to be sent into the main event, to the, the Monday through to the Saturday. And in the Monday through to the Saturday, we're wanting to see as ordinary as ordinary men and women... Trying to trying to follow and put into practice the words and the ways of Jesus. Are there ways, are there things that we can do to extend his presence wherever we find ourselves? And so right, three or four weeks ago, we, we talked about being with the least of these. Because it's in being with the least of these that, that, uh, that Jesus said in Matthew 25, didn't he? That, that uh, whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing it unto me. And so, in some incredible, mysterious way, the, the presence of Jesus is extended when we are with the least of these. The next week after that, I spoke on reconciliation. And we went into Matthew chapter 18, where, where again the words of Jesus he says, Whenever two or three, whenever two or three of you get together in this place of reconciling, I am there in the midst. Reconciliation, unity, unity. Being together, being able to submit to one another, serve one another, is so important, I think, to, to, to Jesus that he says, whenever you do that, when two or three of you come together to reconcile, I'm there in the midst. And so his presence is extended uh, in that place. And so this morning, as we look at the Lord's Supper, the, the Lord's Table, Communion, Eucharist, we are, we're wanting to, to see, asks the same question, we're going to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to, to the end. But halfway down, this, halfway down this reading, it says about you come together. There's times that you come together and you do not recognize the body of the Lord. You do not recognize him present. And so this morning, um, I found myself looking at the Lord's table in a way that I've never done before. I find myself being captivated by the Lord's table in a way that I don't think I ever have. And so some of the things that I say this morning are, maybe will feel really fresh. Maybe for some it'll feel maybe a wee bit raw, but I want you to hear me. I hope you hear my heart every Sunday. Just because I'm standing up here and saying this, this doesn't make it the final authority. But what I'm saying is this, is this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is doing in me and wrestling through some things and what I want to do is, is open up a conversation. What I'd love to happen in these moments is that we, that we throughout the week continue the conversation because we want, we want to do this together. So I don't know how you approach the table I don't know what mindset it is that you come around the Lord's Supper with. For some, it is a meal. For others, it is a sacrifice. For some, it is a ritual act, sacred and set apart. For others, it is a community gathering. The more mess and kids, the better. For some, it is a deep personal prayer. For others, it is communal worship for the world. For some, it's the very essence of coming together. While for others, part of its essence is its reaching out. For some, it is a celebration of sorrow, a making present of Christ's suffering, the place where we can break down. For others, it is the place to celebrate joy and sing hallelujah. For some, it is a ritual remembrance, a bringing into the present of the historical events of Jesus dying, rising, ascending, and sending the Holy Spirit. For others, it is a celebration of God's presence with us today. For some, it is a celebration of the Last Supper, something to be done less frequently. For others, it is God's daily feeding of his people with a new manna. For some, it is a celebration of reconciliation. For others, unity and reconciliation are preconditions. For its proper celebration, I could keep going on, but I think for for all of us, as I look around the room, I think we we all approach it differently. We all come at it with different traditions, with different understandings and so i I want to open a conversation, I want to start a conversation I want us to I want to share some things that I've been thinking through this week, and then I'd love us to take take the emblems together. I'd love us to break the bread and, and share it together. I'd love us to to take the cup and to, to share this meal together, and then we're going to we're going to worship some more. We're going to leave leave extra time at the end just to just to reflect, to meditate, to worship. As I said, for some it could be a moment to celebrate and sing hallelujah. For others, it could be a moment of quiet reflection, somber reflection. Interestingly, well, I find it interesting. For the majority of church history, for the majority of the last, the last 20, 21 centuries, for the majority of that, the, the pastor's pulpit, the stand... The, the, this moment in the service was never the central part. For us today, and I'm not saying necessarily what it's right or wrong, I'm just letting you know that for the majority of church history, this moment was not the central part of the service. It was always, it was always the communion. It was always the, the Lord's table even if you were to, if anybody had any interest in architecture, how even our buildings were designed, the architecture, I think, revealed the theology. Because even the architecture, the, the, the Lord's table, the communion, the altar was central to the building. The, the pastor's lectern or the pastor's stand, the preacher's stand was off to the side. It wasn't central. So first of all, gathered around communion and then the Word. And along, along the way, somewhere along the way, we could speculate, we could have conversation about that, not necessarily for today, but, but something changed because the, the preaching of the Word became central. The pastor's position, the lectern, the Word became central. And the communion, the Lord's table be, became,
1: became secondary.
0: And so I found myself asking myself the question, what changed? What changed? And, I, and I've really found it difficult to come up with an adequate ex, explanation for this meal that we take together. I find it really hard to come up with an adequate explanation for what it is that we are partaking of together. In much the same way, maybe you're different, but I find it really hard to come up with an adequate explanation for love. How do I explain it? How do I give an adequate explanation for the love that I have for my wife, for my children? It's really hard to come up with an adequate explanation. And I've almost found myself in that place as I've considered, how do we, how do we ex- fully explain what we're doing here? How do we fully explain the significance of this moment? And I found it really hard to come up with an adequate explanation. I find myself at times being frustrated by that because I want to be able to, to put into words what it is that's happening. There's been times this week, especially over the last few days, I've found just being comfortable with the fact, with the truth, with the reality that he is just mysteriously present when we gather around the table. Something mysterious. And and, and Paul is comfortable with that language. There's something mysterious about what has been passed down. There's a, he is mysteriously present when we gather around the table. And so I love, I'm I'm, I'm so appreciative of, of what we can do this morning. Because what the, what the Lord's table does. It invites us to gather as family. What it does. Is that it invites us. To the ultimate sacrament. Of reconciliation. This is the ultimate sacrament. Of reconciliation. What it is inviting us to. and if, We maybe not have time this morning. But I, I, I'm, really, I'm really looking forward. To next week. Because I want to I stretch this out. To next Sunday. And look at John 13. The context of the Lord's table in John 13, I think, is an ultimate invitation to mature discipleship. Where in John 13, as as Jesus celebrated the Passover, he did it in the context of washing one another's feet. So if you have your Bibles, um, Reluctantly, I say this, if you have your phones, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And let's read read this together, starting from verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be difference among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received... Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Again, it's one of those it's one of those portions of scripture that we. I'm sure are familiar with I know for myself I, I become accustomed to reading through these verses almost exclusively when we come to take the bread and to take
1: the cup I felt like almost for the
0: I almost felt the the weight of what Paul was carrying here this is so important to him that actually he says that your coming together is doing more harm than good. Imagine that. The thought of us gathering together was doing more harm than good. And if you were to read this, if we, I wanted us to read this whole portion. Because what Paul is so upset about, what, he is, what, has, what has gotten his back up, is that because they were not united, Because they were not together. Because of the reports he was hearing of division. Because they were not serving and submitting to one another. They were doing more harm than good. Because they were not together. And I I think maybe some of what I will share this morning will overlap from where David had us a couple of weeks ago. The the importance of, of being together. And I, th- and I think you've heard us use that, that language often. I'll take you back again, in case you need reminded. John chapter 17, the great unanswered prayer of Jesus. Father, that they would be one as you and me are one. That they would live together in such a way that the world could not help but take notice that they are, their kingdom is truly of, not of this world. They love and they serve and they submit to one another in such a way that it reveals something about your nature. It reveals something about your character. And Paul was passionate about this. On Wednesday night I shared with the guys in the living room that, that as I've read through Corinthians, Ephesians and Galatians, Paul is, Paul is on to this every time. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you're now all one in Jesus. He continues to go after where they've, where they've created division, where they've created man-made division, where they've allowed their traditions to, to, to trump relationship. He continues to, to challenge them. And because they were not united, because they were not coming together, because they were not waiting for each other, submitting to one another, they were doing more harm than good. It has to catch our attention. And as we read on down, I want to just pull out two or three things. Verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord. And again, as I've continued to be caught up in the story and the words and the ways of Jesus, I realize that Jesus didn't leave us a, a lot of rituals. There wasn't a lot of rituals that Jesus left us with, but what He did leave us with was the Word and this. He didn't leave us with a lot of rituals. He left us with with His Word, and He left us with the table.
1: And as I've, as I've, and maybe,
0: maybe, you can, maybe we'll enter into conversation and you'll tell me something different. But as I've, as i wrestled through that during the week, I'm, I'm challenged by that thought. I'm challenged by that idea because Jesus, maybe any. Maybe there's more emphasis. Maybe there's more weight that, this, that th- this moment carries than I've ever realized before. See, I think as I read through Paul's heart, there is a, an intensification of our unity within the body of Christ when we gather around the Lord's Supper. This is a, our unity is at its most intense when we gather around the table of the Lord. And I think... I think Paul is is saying, as I try to paraphrase this a wee bit, if you allow me, I think he's saying, guys, you have created a hierarchy. You have established a man-made hierarchy here. You have have decided who is in and who is out. Based on status, based on preferences, based on, on your own personal values, based on a whole load of different things, you have decided who is worthy and who is not. You have decided who is in and who is out. And if anything that should strip that away, if anything, if there's anywhere that should remove that mindset, if there's anywhere that should break down the this any sense of hierarchy or any sense of you being the ones who decide who is worthy and who is not, it's the table of the Lord. And in verse 27. Paul says, in light of this division that he's heard about, in light of the fact that they're not coming together, in light of the fact that this was supposed to bring them together, but they've used it to to divide. Therefore, whoever drinks, eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And again, I have to forgive my ignorance, but I, have, I don't think I've ever read, seen that Paul is talking here about an unworthy manner. I think I've always interpreted 1 Corinthians 11 as Paul was talking about our moral righteousness. How how good has your week been? How well have you performed this week? Well, based on, on your performance, based on the level of your morality, that determines whether you are worthy or not to receive. I don't think that can be the case. As I read this in the context of what Paul is talking about, he is talking about an unworthy manner. And the unworthy manner is whenever you come and you reinforce division. When you come and, you're, and, and the division is reinforced, that is an unworthy manner. And when you come in that way, you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And so I, I feel like often I come to the table feeling like I'm, I'm running through my head, everything that I've done, God, Jesus, I'm sorry, everything that I've thought, I'm sorry, I need to, I need to be morally worthy to come to the table today.
1: How, how am I ever going to get there?
0: If it's based on moral righteousness, I'll never be worthy to come to the table. He is, not, he, is not, he is not saying this is about being morally righteous. I don't think Paul is critical of unworthy people coming to the table. But he's critical of them coming in an unworthy manner.
1: And so, I feel like on the authority
0: of Jesus' table practice, I think that is a fair comment. Paul is not critical of, of unworthy people coming to the table. He is critical of coming in an unworthy manner. Because I look, when I look at the table practice of Jesus, there is if it was only based on moral righteousness that could come around the table with Jesus, we would never read the stories of him gathering with the tax collectors, gathering with the sinners. And next Sunday, I want to talk a wee bit about how Jesus extends the table, how he extends the table. I want us to talk about the, I suppose, the formalities of the Lord's Supper today. But next week, I want us to look at the table practice of Jesus where he extends it and so it's why as I look to Jesus and I read, I try to get a grasp of what Paul is saying here, he's not critical of unworthy people coming. But he's critical of us coming in an unworthy manner. Critical of us coming to the table, caring more about ourselves and others. See, I I um, I'm struck by the table this morning that this is a place of submission ultimately to him. But you know what? I feel like over the last couple of weeks, this is the place where we submit to one another. This is a place of submission to the Lord and a place of submission to each other. And, I, and as I just bring this to a close in a few minutes, let me I just want to take four four things that I think can impact our daily lives as we come to take the bread and to take the cup.
1: John Wesley, John Wesley, was
0: well known for taking communion every day. John Wesley took communion every day. And every, the the little groups of people that he had, little groups of apprentices, apprentices of Jesus that he'd gathered, the leaders of those little groups, he instructed them. He instructed them quite persuasively, every time you gather, you take the Lord's Supper together, every time you gather. He took it. It was his practice to take communion every day. And for those that he was, that he was in ministry with, he, his, his call to them was that they would take this every day. For John Wesley, it was, it was just a simple fact of returning to Jesus over and over again. For him, in the, in the busyness of life, in the busyness of ministry, it was simply a, an act of anchoring himself. It was anchoring himself in the death and the resurrection and the return of Jesus. I'm, I'm wanting to open up a conversation. I'm not wanting to say just because John Wesley did it that that means every morning this week you need to do this. I'm maybe not even saying that because of what I'm sharing this morning that we, we do this every Sunday I will possibly be one to advocate for that. I want us to enter into a conversation. How does how does this impact our daily lives? And there's four four things that Paul talks about when he says he received from the Lord, but he also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And there's the four words, there's four words that I want us to do as we gather around the table this morning. There's four, these same four words I think impact our daily lives. First word is to receive. And so this, this morning, I know the last few times we've done this, we've just invited you to go and to, to take of the bread. But this morning I I, I want the boys to, to take the bread and to take the, the cup and to, to walk around and to uh, for them to give
1: it to you and for you to receive. I'm
0: wanting us in this moment, I think we're being invited to come open-handed. Caleb almost gave me the perfect illustration this week to what I want to share. He was, uh, I was in the kitchen um, doing the dishes or cleaning it the way that I usually do. And um, he, he, he came into the kitchen, climbed up onto the, climbed up onto the what's that called? Worktop, worktop. I'm obviously not that familiar with the kitchen. Climbed up onto the worktop, opened the cupboard and just grabbed sweets. <laughs> grabbed his own sweets out of the cupboard. For some reason I just, I, like there's times where he can do that. Or he does that and I pay no attention. But I turned around and I said, "Kilo, what are you doing? He says, I'm I'm taking the sweets. I says, Are you gonna ask? He says, But they're my sweets. I felt like there was a learning moment here, and so he, I, uh, I don't know how well he listened. But he says, Caleb, I, I want you to be able to receive. Even though this, you feel like this is, belongs to you, I want, I want you to learn to receive. And as, and as I said this with him, it felt like it was one of those light bulb moments. But actually, I think the father has been trying to get my attention on this maybe for a long time. Neil, you think this? You think this belongs to you? You think this is yours by right?
1: You think this is yours because you're owed it?
0: Neil, I want you. I want you to learn to receive. To learn to receive that it means that you're acknowledging that it's not your own. And so trying to acknowledge this even this weekend was was helpful in trying to do that life is a gift breath is a gift family friends is a, is a gift our 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 friendships are gifts our talents are gifts the clothes that we have on our back it's a gift and i'm i'm inviting you to approach the table in this posture this morning to receive I think there's something will happen in our mindsets as we approach the table in this way, but I think something could happen just in our daily lives if we approach life with this posture. Everything, we receive everything. We receive everything. Everything is a gift. Nothing comes to us as owed. And I think that could potentially impact our lives. I think it could impact us as we gather around the table we come to receive. I think he invites us to come open-handed. This has been received and then it's been passed on. So receive it in that same manner. Receive it in that same way. Give thanks. The bread was received, he then, give thanks. Wednesday night we gathered. Uh, It was Tara's first time with us. And uh, I asked Tara uh, on the spot, how can we pray for you? And her immediate response, without even thinking, was, I just want to
1: give thanks. I just want to say thank you. I'm sure
0: there's a ton of other things that she could have asked us to pray about. Tara, this is your first Sunday here, isn't it? Sorry, Tara. You're so welcome. And so Tara and Brent are with us, part of the family, and navigating through life and culture and all of that, and there's a hundred things, I think. She could have asked us to pray for. But it was to give thanks, and I think the highest compliment that you can give, that someone can give to a gift giver, is to thoroughly enjoy the gift. And so that's maybe why, for some, that as we gather around the table today, for some, it is somber reflection, for others. It is a celebration where we sing hallelujah. Because for some it just might be, I want him him to know that I thoroughly enjoy this gift. And I want to give thanks. The highest compliment you can give to the creator is to thoroughly enjoy the gift. Highest compliment you can give to the giver is to thoroughly enjoy it.
1: You give thanks and they broke it. So receive, give thanks, and break.
0: And I think it's that this is where it starts getting difficult. Because I think, in the context of what, what Paul is challenging the church of Corinth with, is that, guys, you need, you need broken here. See that pride, see that selfish ambition, see that individualism if you're going to gather around the table in a worthy manner, this needs broke. And this is important for us as we gather around the table today, but this is huge. I think it has a huge impact on our daily lives. That there would be a tearing down of pride. That there would be a breaking of our selfish ambition and our the individualism that, that even today it was rampant in the church here, but it, it equally takes its grip today, individualism, and all the other things, all all of the other things that prevent us from giving ourselves to one another. Anything else that prevents us from submitting one to another, from giving ourselves to one another, all of it that needs broken, all of that needs tore down. Ronald Ruhlheiser says, if this does not succeed, if the table If the table does not succeed in breaking down the barriers that separate us from each other Then we have little reason to hope that those barriers will break down in our world If this, if what we do now does not succeed in breaking down the barriers that separate us from each other Then we have little reason to hope that these barriers will break down
1: in our world Put up that group photo there again will you Johnny?
0: Thought of this. La- I was thinking about this last night when this Jason sent this group photo. And if anybody is anything like me, or actually, if you're just willing to be honest, so guess who the first person that I looked for in this photograph was myself. The first person that I looked for was myself. I didn't didn't take me too long to go and see this face over here. I Don't know what he's at, but that. But but I felt, that re- I felt that this was really important. I felt like... And I know, and in that moment, I realized, I do this every time. Every time there's a good photograph. Even the three photographs, even the picture of the three of us together, I'm looking, I'm wanting to see how I turned out. I'm wanting to see myself. I'm wanting to see how my hair looked. I'm wanting to see... What he's laughing at? I'm wanting to see... He's talking about the, on my face... I want to see how I look. I wanted to see how I how do, how do I scratch up compared to these two boys. Thankfully it was with them too. It could have been worse. It could have been Sam aside like two handsome people. It's so, alright, boys, we're coming around the table. Forgive me, Lord. I just thought there was maybe a bit of a lesson here. If if it's if it's nothing, forget I even mentioned it. But I think this is this is reflective of what Often goes on in our churches, and what can often go on round the table. Because whenever we see the group, we're wanting, we're we're wanting to see how we look. We're wanting to see how we're performing. What would it be like if we looked at the group first? How did the group turn out? How did the how does the group look? I think I think Paul would be. I think that's what Paul would be wanting us. If there was a some modern translation of First Corinthians 11 I think it would be saying whenever you take a group photograph see how, see how how you all look together
1: see how it all comes out together And I think as we come around the table we're being asked that question how is the group doing how did the group turn out I think if we, did, if we were to To live like that, that's going to impact our daily lives. Not that we're so consumed by self, but how's the group doing? How's the family doing? To receive, to give thanks,
0: to break and to share. And this is just an invitation for us to commit ourselves and to share all aspects of our lives with with each other is an invitation as we share when we're broken. We're distributed. We share. We commit ourselves to sharing all, all aspects of our lives with one another. So yesterday morning, whenever we were at Sheep Island View, we, for those of us that were already up, we, we had breakfast together. There was no passing of the bread and there was no passing of of the wine, of the cup. But there was a moment where I think there was, there was just a chance to tend, for us to tend or acknowledge or, yeah, just acknowledge, tend to the presence of Jesus among us. I think in those, in those moments, there's times when our eyes are open and we recognize the body of the Lord. That's what happened, isn't it, in the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Jesus, but in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized the presence of Jesus. And I think something like that happens when we just, at any moment, when we tend to his presence. When we pay attention, when we lean in, come a bit closer, I think it's then that, that our eyes are open and we recognize, we recognize the body of the Lord. And I'm convinced that this place of submission to him and to each other, it opens up the world to his reign and to his presence among us. There's times where I've read over that this, over the weekend, and thought, that seems so lofty. But I think it's true. When we come to this place of submission to him and to each other, that it opens up the world to his reign and to his presence among us. And as I say, I want, to open up, I want to open this up a wee bit further next Sunday I'm struck by the Gospel of John Most biblical scholars put the Gospel of John written at least 60 years after the, the, the death of Jesus Some have it at 70, but the majority have it at 60 years after the death of Jesus and I think that, I, again, this is up for conversation, but I think, I think in John's writing of the gospel, he has seen and heard and, and maybe even got sick of all the divisions and the arguments around the Lord's table. And so he places it in the context of washing each other's feet. He places it in the context of washing each other's feet. and So next week I want to think a wee bit more about that. I want us to ask the question, what was the significance of Jesus taking off his outer garment? And So all of us approach this differently. All of us carry an outer garment. An outer garment of, of tradition, of understanding, of belief, whatever it is, but what's going on? What's going on inside? Because it's what's going on inside that unites us. It's what's going on inside that pulls us together around this table.
1: And So let's do that.